I'm driving up to a row of large ponds in the middle of a paddock with farmer Matt Ryan. So these are our production ponds. Basically, this was my first pond that we built back in 2010, 11, something like that. Yeah, so it's been operational since then and we've slowly built more ponds. So we've got six ponds here, another six on the site behind us. And then we've got another site down the road which has eight ponds and um, we're currently just building a new site at the moment which will have 35 ponds over the next sort of three years. Each of the ponds is about 90 by 50 metres and each houses a number of cages covered with netting. They're tall, we're walking comfortably around inside, standing up. They protect the fish from predators like birds. Righto, so yeah, so we're on one of our cages here at Bilbul. That's where the fish live basically, in that net, in that cage. I'm Jess O'Callaghan. This is The Business of Fishing, a podcast from the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries to help you get the skills you need for the office, not the boat. This season, you'll hear from some of New South Wales' most inspiring young commercial fishers, oyster farmers and aquaculturists about how they work and the way they run their businesses. People like Matt Ryan... Matt farms Murray Cod in Bilbul, about 15 minutes out of Griffith in southwest New South Wales. In this episode, you're going to hear how he founded an aquaculture business and grew the systems and infrastructure needed to scale up to the point where Murray Cod Australia is now an ASX-listed company, selling the Australian fish to high-end restaurants. Thousands of kilometres away, in restaurants all around the world, people are ordering these fish smoked in carbonara, tucked into ravioli, wrapped in nasturtium leaves. But Matt Ryan and Murray Cod Australia didn't set up their business hoping that foodies would turn their attention to Murray Cod. They've actively cultivated a high-end market of buyers globally. Here at the ponds, there are long platforms where Matt and his staff can walk into different enclosures, feed the fish and check on their health. We we manage their density quite strictly because... Uh, we find you know too high a density and they just can't get enough access to food and things like that. By too low a density, we, ha- we can run into issues with aggression and stuff like that. Too many fish and they might fight over food. Too few fish and they might turn on each other. The ponds are on the Murray-Darling Basin river system, the fish's native environment. Murray Cod Australia have a water allocation of 205 megalitres on the farm but can generally get through the season with only about 60 to 80 megalitres of water. This is fish production on a scale that's hard to grasp, especially peering into the ponds where the cod hide, unseen, in the depths of the water. Um, the guys come through every morning, check for fish, check for fish health. Um, yeah, this is exactly how you want to see it. There's no fish you know, milling around the surface or anything. They, they give them a hand feed every morning and then they can adjust the feeders depending on the feed response every day. Um, whether they need more or less feed. That's, that's how the system works, pretty much. This constant monitoring and care is essential, especially in summer when it's hot. The fish grow extremely quickly, but because of that, it means they're eating a lot. The demand on the ponds is really high. So, yeah, it just means our management has got to be you know, spot on through the summer, especially through those warmer heat waves that we tend to get here in Australia. Matt was always interested in aquaculture, and when he was looking at getting out of dryland farming a decade ago, he started his research. Like I was interested in aquaculture and looked at numerous different species and you know, looked at prawns and oysters and barramundi and it was something that I was just interested in and um, I guess had a bit of a passion for. 
people were already doing those other species and they were competitive markets, they were you know, relatively commoditised as such. But the big thing for me was they also had competition from all around the world. So you know, the prawns, you know, they're grown through most of Asia, most tropical places. So there's, you know, there's a fair bit of competition for those guys, even though we do have a good domestic demand for that stuff. Um, Barramundi's a bit the same, you know, it's grown widely now through Asia. Salmon, you know, it's huge through North America and stuff. So the Murray Cod excited me from a perspective of this is the only river system in the world where this fish exists. They did some initial testing with chefs, and while they loved the product, they were reluctant to use it because no one could guarantee consistent supply of quality Murray Cod. The big struggle with Murray Cod was it come from a wild caught industry back in the 50s and 60s, uh, which was shut down now completely. So we've got no wild catch to compete with, and there's very few producers producing Murray Cod. And they were generally smaller farmers, so no one was in a position to be able to supply significant quantities to a market, which then meant you got variations in quality, variations in taste, which made it really difficult to meet expectations for customers because they'd be buying fish off one producer one day and they would run out and they'd have to go buy fish off someone else the next day, which then meant that they had no assurity of supply and and quality. In that inconsistent market, Matt saw an opportunity. I thought if we can grow this to a stage where we've got the supply, uh, we can then you know, look after those customers that want that product. You know, And that's where we're, we're targeting this product is you know, specifically into the high-end restaurant trade and also retail as well. We find it's had great traction there and we've got customers that, are, that have been with us for a long time and they know that they'll get the same product every week. Now, taking your dryland farm and turning it into a Murray Cod farm is not your run-of-the-mill business expansion. It was a huge financial risk. In aquaculture, Matt was stepping into an industry that he had a passion for, but no real experience in. Yeah, some people might have thought that it was crazy, which I got told that I was crazy on more than one occasion. But he says risk is in the eye of the beholder, and as a dryland farmer in Griffith, he was used to taking risks. So it was probably a calculated risk, I suppose. And you know, most people in agriculture are pretty used to risk. It's something we do every single day. While Matt was setting up the Murray Cod Farm, he had to make a living. He worked as an agronomy consultant, running a consulting business with a partner and working with Elders Rural Services. We'd grown fish, I suppose, in conjunction with other work for, for two or three years and had to make the decision where we're going to have, you know, go head in on, on, onto this or it was always just going to be a hobby, you know, ticking along in the background. And so we made the decision to jump and, and you know, feet first and get stuck right into it. It's illegal to catch Murray Cod in the wild. Matt has to breed and farm his fish. But he sees this as a strength of the business. We're not dependent on, on a fishery as such. You know, wild caught fisheries are reliant on weather, um, closing, closed seasons, all those sorts of things. We had... 30 mils of rain here on Sunday and the weather's been pretty horrible and the guys can still drive up to the bank and, and harvest fish. So there's a lot of uh, things why it works, I suppose. We just had to develop a system to grow the fish. Um, and that's, that's been the challenge, but it's, yeah, it's working quite well now. Growing fish that have already adapted to the Murray is also incredibly efficient. We're not trying to take a fish from you know, somewhere, another country or another environment and try and adapt the environment to suit it. The environment which the cod have evolved in is a feast and famine, that's Australia, you know, we have droughts and flooding rains and the fish are used to that. We want to leave this better for our children and future generations. Yeah, and we think the Murray cod have got a really big part to play in that from a, you know, water sustainability perspective, 
if you look at you know gross margin per megalitre of water use, nothing really gets close to them in the perspective of you know, water use efficiency. And it helps the bottom line too. But the big thing too is from a you know, protein perspective and food security perspective, they're extremely efficient. So you know, we have food conversion ratios from 1 through to, through to 1.5 kilograms. So it means you know, it takes us about 1.5 kilos of feed to produce you know, a kilo of fish. So, which is extremely efficient if you put that against, you know, cattle and sheep and things like that. If they're out sort of at four, five, six, you know, yeah, kilos of feed to, to a kilo of meat. But there are challenges that come with farming a fish that hasn't been farmed a lot before. At the moment, they're probably not the fastest fish from a growth perspective and things like that. I think, you know, the salmon and the barramundi guys would um, certainly hold that ticket fairly convincingly. This is because species like barramundi and salmon have undergone breeding programs that use genetics to encourage the fish to grow faster over time. But, you know, our plan is to work more with genetics and things like that with these fish and, you know, get them to a point where, you know, we have fish that are growth rates that are a lot better than what we're seeing today, which for me is even more exciting because it just makes our business all the more better. Matt takes out a net and crouches by the side of a pond scooping down low into the water to show me a Murray cod. It's a young one, just larger than the size of Matt's hand. So how far are these guys along here? So these are smaller fish. Yeah. So these are, they look about, to me, uh, uh, four or five hundred grams, something along that, that line. So yeah, these will be saleable fish. Another another 12 months and they'll be yeah, getting dinner plates, basically. These were stocked out uh, spring last year. So uh, how long's that from when, when they're in the hatchery to when they... You know, go to so plate. De- depending on the size that they go out. So we have fish go out from this size um, right through to three or four kilos. So we work on basically around about a kilo a year. A three kilo fish is about roughly three years old. Yeah. Matt's family has been farming in this region for generations, mainly wheat and sheep. Yeah, so we're, I think, third or fourth generation farming out in this area, in this region. Um, I did, I've done a degree, Bachelor of Rural Science, um, up at Armidale at UNE. And, um, yeah, so it's always, I guess, production of food has always been a passion of mine. You know, I love growing stuff and, yeah, I love, you know, I guess trying to get the most out of nature, if that makes sense, and um, how you can, yeah, work with it and yeah, really make it work in your favour. After six years of building the Murray Cod Farm, Matt knew there was one key element missing if he wanted the business to expand further. Got to 2016 and the biggest issue for us was going to be getting small fish. And yeah, so at that point, up until then, we were were buying in all of our stock fish. So then looked at, yeah, the potential of, you know, going our own way with with hatcheries and, and we built this nursery in 2016. Matt had a business partner at the time, Roger Commons, who runs a stainless steel manufacturing business in Griffith. Together they built a Murray Cod nursery. But the problem with breeding and growing fish was the time it took from hatch to sale. From, you know, expending the money to build the dam, to get the fish in that dam, to then get, a, you know, a harvestable product out of that dam, you're looking at, you know, three years. And so, you know, it's quite capital intensive and, you know, can be quite a drain from a you know, personal perspective. So... The idea of going public was, you know, a way of, you know, being able to get capital into the business um, in a fair and equitable way that was, um, yeah, fair for everyone across the board. Their accountant, Ross Anderson, had a bit of experience with ASX-listed companies and started looking into whether that would be a viable option for the Murray Cod Farm. So Ian Charles, who's one of our executives now, 
Uh, he owned a hatchery called Silverwater at Grongrong, and I'd been buying fish off him. We spoke to him, and he was getting to the point where I guess succession for him was probably a bit of a, an issue as well. You know, he had two sons that had left home and weren't so interested in the, the fish farm side of it, and and so he pitched his farm into the the I guess merger of of the businesses. With the hatchery business and the Murray Cod farm merged, Matt. Roger, their accountant Ross and hatchery owner Ian took the new company, Maricot Australia, to the Australian Stock Exchange. This meant that the company could access money from a much wider market of shareholders. Ownership is distributed across shareholders who can buy and trade stock in the company. It changes the financial setup of a business, but it also has huge impacts on how a business operates. Matt and the team are now accountable to shareholders, most of whom they don't know and will never meet. So the initial team of four are no longer the business owners, but they each play a part in the business. I'm fascinated by these partnerships, which have grown organically over the years, from someone knowing someone else. There's a leap you have to take from being a neighbour to listing a company. I guess one thing the four of us have all got is a passion for, you know, doing things a bit differently and, and wanting to grow businesses and, you know, and agriculture as well in this region. So I suppose that brought us together with a common sort of goal. Even though the relationships are very much business ones, Matt thinks it's important that they all get on. They share a vision and they respect each other's ideas. I think that's probably been, you know, one of the important things is we've all been able to sit back at times and we don't haven't always agreed on 100% of things, which is fine, you, you shouldn't have to. But we've always been able to see the other person's point of view at the, in those times. So I think that's the important thing is, you know, in any business, uh, I think a bit of disagreement is not a bad thing because it helps you grow and it helps highlight areas that need to be changed. But it's important to be able to sit down and discuss them out in a rational fashion. This huge transformation in the scale of the company has really changed what Matt's role is and what his life as an aquaculture farmer looks like. It's not always easy for him to sit back and let others do the bulk of the hands-on work. Uh, so for me personally, I'm trying to slowly you know, pull back from a lot of the day-to-day um, operational stuff. Matt says the hardest part of his job is finding good staff. Maricot Australia has 42 permanent staff, most at the farms around Griffith and a small office of sales and marketing staff in Sydney. It's taken him a long time to get the team he has now, and even then, finding and keeping people who are passionate about aquaculture and good at what they do can be really tricky. Yeah, no one out here is trained in aquaculture, so we run our own internal training program through TAFE, certificates in, in aquaculture and stuff like that, to try and get our guys skilled up. He's tried to structure the operations of the farm to help this problem. From an operations perspective that we have, you know, managers, team leaders, and then your, your operations staff, and so... There's always someone trained that is responsible and training the person beneath them. It's hard to step back and trust others to run those parts of your business that are so important when you're used to doing it alone. It's been a massive learning curve, I would say. It's the big thing for me is been 100% in control of my own destiny for pretty much my whole life. Taking that shift to you know having to rely on people and build trust in staff and stuff like that, which I will admit in the early days I probably struggled with a bit and probably drove some of my staff insane, but I think I'm getting better at, at you know, being able to pull back and once I'm confident someone can handle a job, I'm happy to pull back and, and let them run with it. But it does take a little while to earn my, earn my trust, I suppose. Yeah, it's taken time to build staff that we can trust, but now with those guys, I've been able to pull back from those, those roles and 
spend more time working on the business rather than working in the business, if that makes sense. Okay, so I'll have to go through quarantine. Yeah, sure. Do you want me to close up. this? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Matt takes me into the nursery shed. It's about 50 metres long and the lighting is dim to calm the fish. There are rows and rows of big silver pools, almost like the vats you brew beer in. Um, so yeah, this is our nursery site. A lot of what Matt has created hasn't been done in this region before. He started from scratch, building hatcheries, growing fish from spawn. So basically all of our little fish come into here um, from our hatchery, which is over at Grong Grong. Um, we just, we've actually got another hatchery now at Uberta as well, just out of Wagga. So the little fish come in, they're about uh, anywhere from half a gram to, to three or four grams when they come in here. Some of them spend a little bit of time in here and then they're taken out to the cages. Uh, but once our water temperatures yeah, reach a certain point, as it cools down out of summer, uh, we don't move any fish out of here. So they, they stay in here through the winter. Um, and then as soon as it warms up again in summer, we transfer them out. So we try not to transfer fish too much when it's cold because um, it's hard on them. And how many would be in here now? In this uh, I think at the moment there's around 300,000 roughly, give or take, yeah, a few in this shed. So this shed, we put about 1.2 million fish through here in, in a year. And what sort of resources go into caring for them when they're in here? So labour's a big one. When they're so little, we spend a lot of time monitoring fish health, monitoring water quality. So this is a closed system basically, so a little bit of water comes in each day uh, and gets exchanged out, but the water in here is recycled round and round. We filter it out, take all of the impurities and waste out of it, clean it, and then it, it comes back into the shed. So it takes a lot of managing these systems, and yeah, we've, we've had to learn along the way. The way this is all set up, none of it was clear-cut or the obvious way to do things. They could borrow from other aquaculture practices, but a lot needed to be adapted to be suitable for Murray Cod. There's not a lot of this sort of stuff done with Murray Cod around. So we've got a really good system now that works, but like with all agriculture, you never stop reinventing the system and changing yeah, what you do. Most of the equipment in these sheds was designed and built by businesses in Griffith. Regular aquaculture sheds are made out of polythylene, but Matt has drawn from the skills in the surrounding areas, where a lot of the infrastructure is manufactured for the wine industry. Uh, given the wine industry here in Griffith, we've got a lot of really good stainless steel engineering around. So, you know, what we've been able to do here, everything's been made uh, on site. We've built our own grading systems, um, all of our filtration, it's all been built here, um, you know, by locals. And that's an important part of our business. We like to support local business. So we're really lucky. So one of our directors is, yeah, he's a very, very good engineer and, yeah, pretty clue. And, he, and he's also got good people that work for him. A lot of the stuff we've done has been suck it and see and, you know, there's a pile of stuff out the back that didn't work for all the stuff in here that did. This process of developing and trying new technology and equipment was costly, but a good investment in the long run. It means they now have equipment that particularly suits the species of fish. Matt scoops Annette into the tank and pulls up a few little Murray cod. Oh, they are little. So they're, I'm not sure what size, but I would say they're about maybe 80 or 90 grams. Little, little Murray cod. So they would be okay. If it was warm enough outside, they'd be okay to go outside. But you can see they're nice and fat and certainly in very good condition. Regularly, the fish are sent up through a grading machine, which sits in the middle of the shed. I follow Matt up and look at the pipes which sort the fish. 
This one was made here in Griffith, especially for Murray Cod. But that's not the only reason Matt chose this machine. Everything on these is sourced here in Griffith and local, so we can, yeah, if we break something, it's five-minute trip to town to get a spare part and we can, we're away going again. So. I imagine that's good for Griffith as well. Well, yeah, good for them and good for us. You know, a lot of the stuff we do is uh, very time-critical. If a piece of technology malfunctions, fish could die. And when they're this small, Matt could lose a significant amount of stock. So especially in this shed, you know, we can't afford to have machinery in here not working because it's, you know, very, very critical. So it means we don't have to carry heaps of spares and a lot of different bits and pieces. It'll be three years before these cod make it onto someone's plate. Since becoming a public company, a big part of Matt's job is growing the market for this unique fish educating chefs and potential customers about what it can be used for and why they should pay a premium for it. Yeah, generally speaking, yeah, most of our customers to date have been sort of high-end restaurants and high-end retail. That means less processing for Matt. They buy and use the whole fish. They use the whole lot from stocks to soups to using the fillet and, and all, all the different parts. So, um, you know, I've even seen guys using the skin and um, making it like into pork crackling so there's quite a lot of fat on the skin. Um, which is very, very nice. When we first started and had lower volumes, you know, it was, we always aimed at that high-end restaurant market because uh, one, they were the guys that were prepared to pay for the fish, the premium for the fish at the time, uh, but also they gave us really good promotion and, and bang for our buck, you know, to see our fish being used at places like Est in Sydney. They've mainly forged these relationships through wholesalers. We've used probably the wholesale seafood network has probably been our biggest you know, selling point up till date. So we've had good relationships with wholesalers in Sydney and especially Sydney and Melbourne. Those guys have been able to use their distribution networks to get the fish out um, to try and keep our cost down. And you know, we'll continue to do that because they're great, great to work with. The sales and marketing team has focused on this, advertising Murray Cod as a great product to work with. It has a mild, creamy flavour. One of the big things we've been really trying to push is public perception around our fish and you know, getting people to understand that it's available and that it's, um, it's a good quality product and, and people you know, need to get out there and try it. They even engaged celebrity chef Heston Blumenthal as a brand ambassador. Because of its fat levels without being too rich, this fish is incredibly versatile. Where he made, it. among other things, Murray Cod ice cream. Kuna Murray Cod ice cream. And um, over the next you know, three to four years, we're going to become as much a sales and marketing company as we will be a fish production company because, again, if we grow the fish, there's no point growing them if we can't sell them. So it's certainly a huge focus of ours going forward. This is particularly important for the export market, educating customers about Murray Cod and creating a market internationally. We've probably, you know, realistically, last year been our first year at, at, in that. Um, we've really only dipped our toe in the water. Um, but we've started up now, you know, we're doing some significant marketing in the US. Um, we want to do that in the EU, EU and, and Japan as well. Before COVID-19 hit, exports were growing quickly. So export volume has really only grown probably in the last 12 months. So before pre-COVID, I suppose you'd say, um, we were exporting into the US, the EU and Japan. Uh, weekly shipments, um, yeah, and quite established markets. And we built it up to the point where it was getting close to around 20% of our, of our sales volume was export, um, which was good. Uh, that's gone completely now. But it's not all bad. 
Matt and his team have found that more people are cooking high-end food at home to make up for eating out less. And through their wholesalers, Murray Cot Australia have been able to reach those people. But we've been able to move you know, into the retail space as well quite easily. And we're finding now, you know, people are at home, they're cooking, they want to cook with something a little bit different. They've got the time, you know, to do it because they're not going out. And so, yeah, our retail sales have, have really boomed in the, you know, the last few months, which has been extremely positive. These fish take a long time to grow. You make a plan or an investment and see it pay off in years, not months. So given that we're really only this year is the first year we've started to see the uptick in volume from when we, when we kicked off in 2017, so this year our sales, we've basically doubled every year. So when we first listed, I think we did 20 tonnes, then 50. This year it's about 170 tonnes from memory. Out of the day-to-day slog of getting the farm established, Matt always has his eyes on the future. For me, something that we've sort of been working on recently is, you know, our strategic plan and where we look at going forward. And, and when I look back at that and look at how where we want to go, it often puts a certain issue you might be having on a day in perspective and you sort of think and go in 10 years' time, if we get to where we want to be, is what's happening today going to matter? And yeah, most likely probably not. Um, So I think that helps. Whether you're a fisher, an oyster farmer or an aquaculturist, there's a lot to learn from Matt Ryan. Matt made his own target market. He adapted his product to suit what this market wanted and needed at the time, a consistent supply of Murray Cod for use in those high-end restaurants. Another important lesson to keep in mind is that sometimes working on the business can be more important than working in the business. Matt found it really hard to start to pull back from the hands-on work of farming, but by doing this, it keeps the business moving forward to bigger and better things. Matt and the team at Maricot Australia have learnt a lot from their rapid growth and their plans to expand are not slowing down anytime soon. Um, so Ross, I guess our company chairman has always had this vision of 10,000 tonnes of fish in 2030. When we first started in 2017, I thought he was a stark raving lunatic, but I share that vision. Yeah, we want to grow this. Yeah, we're, we're sitting on a really high quality product. It can't be grown anywhere else in the world. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of Fishing, brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. Thanks to Matt for showing me around the farm. You can find more episodes full of business insights like Matt's on your favourite podcast app. While you're there, please leave us a review. It helps other people find the podcast. Next episode, The Call of the Sea. Got my um, year 12 certificate and drove straight to Yamba. (laughs) Bugged everyone down the wharf for a job until someone gave me a job. And that's it. I started as a deckhand. Three years later, I got my qualifications and I started training to drive on um, one of the Yamba trawlers. Wild catch prawn fisher Alex Tucker shares how she got into fishing and makes smart, long-term decisions about her life and career. Catch you then.